I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you after an extended off-season break. I am back. The podcast is back. Thank you so much for your patience as I've uh, taken a couple of months off between basketball season and things really kind of ramping up here uh, in the newsy world of Iowa athletics as we get into the month of June. Uh, again, I do appreciate you kind of bearing with me as I, I took some time away. You know, there, there's been things that have happened, and we'll certainly talk about a lot of that here. Um but I didn't feel the need to do like a weekly podcast, and, and I really just wanted to kind of wait until some of these things uh, happened, till some of this uh, this news actually broke, or we found out kind of where things were headed. It was it seemed pointless to me to preview a basketball season when you don't know whether or not Chris Murray is going to be on the team. It seemed. Um, well, I guess it, you know now that the Charlie Jones news has happened, and uh, so you know, kind of would have uh, been pointless to talk much football uh, without knowing some of those other things. And so, uh, it's good to be here with you. Thank you so much for listening, and again, thank you for the patience. And we'll start right there with the uh, the Iowa basketball team uh, because we found out earlier this week, the day of the deadline that Chris Murray is returning for his junior season. He will play for the Hawkeyes next season, and. Uh, I guess is uh, is expected to kind of be the face of the team and and the the go to guy and you know if he if he makes any sort of leap similar to what his brother did between freshman and and sophomore seasons uh, he will certainly be that but I do think it's important that we kind of check our expectations a little bit right and, and check ourselves down a little bit and understand uh, how remarkable what Keegan Murray did last year was and and how unlikely that is for anybody. Uh, and and to expect that of anybody is a lot, and to expect it of Chris Murray, uh, I fear maybe too much. There, there's going to be a lot on this kid's plate, a lot on his shoulders, but he doesn't have to shoulder it alone. And that that's one of the great things about this season. As we look ahead to it, um, we all know how much Iowa had lost between two years ago. And last season, uh, in Luca Garza and Joe Wieskamp and C.J. Frederick, and uh, for a time we thought Jordan Bohannon, although he ultimately came back and was the the second leading scorer on that team and helped lead Iowa to a Big Ten tournament championship and uh, a nice seed, if not a nice uh, appearance in the NCAA tournament, but. It felt like a real rebuilding year last year, and that wasn't the case because Keegan Murray became one of the best players in the country. Uh, scored 23 points a game, almost nine rebounds a game, assist and a half a game, more than a steal a game, almost two blocks a game, and has played himself into being what I think will be the the highest-ranked NBA draft pick in Iowa history. I think downtown Freddie Brown was a number six draft pick. That's the highest any Hawkeye has ever been drafted. I do at this point expect Keegan Murray uh, to be a higher draft pick than that. And so um, what he did is incredible. And I think we all acknowledge that throughout the season. I mean, for him to break things like Luka Garza's single season scoring record just a year after Luka Garza did it, for him to have 
you know, people like my friend John Miller and, and a lot of us talking about, is Keegan Murray the most talented Iowa basketball player ever? I mean, those are big, big shoes to fill. We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the jersey retirements that we saw last season. And again, Luca Garza was one of those, and, and rightfully so. And uh, Roy Marble and the Final Four teams of the 80s and, and things like that. And to think that Keegan Murray was as good as he was, um, it is incredible. It was an incredible story, and Chris Murray's story continues to be incredible as well. I mean, this is a guy who, like his brother, was not recruited out of high school, had almost no Division One offers, uh, got a lot of scoffs from us Iowa fans when Fran McCaffrey offered them scholarships, thinking he's just doing that uh, to fill space and because their dad is Kenyon Murray. And Fran saw something in them that nobody else saw, and that has really, really paid off for Fran and for the Murray brothers. And so Keegan... To be as good and, and as pivotal of a piece to this team as he was even last season as a sophomore, as the sixth man, usually the first guy off the bench, uh, did have some some starts, I think, but mostly was the sixth man. Uh, but to be the fourth leading scorer on this team, average almost 10 points, average over four rebounds, an assist, a steal, a block a game, for him to even make that jump was incredible for Chris Murray because he played almost none his freshman year. So then we saw him kind of move into that role that Keegan played the year before last year as the sixth man, one of the first guys off the bench, and and could be a go-to guy. Uh, was a guy that really stepped up in a couple of games. One where Keegan was out and Chris scored in the in the 20s and uh, was really showed flashes of what we all hope to see consistency with this season. But again, it's asking a lot to, to take a guy who was a good player piece of a good team last year and be the face of that team and the face of that organization and program and to live up to those expectations of being like a first team all Big Ten caliber player being playing your way into all American discussions and carrying a team uh, to an NCAA tournament to a Big Ten tournament championship to a top half of the Big Ten uh, almost a, a double by regular season record uh, had some big, big wins. That's that's just a lot to ask. And so the the good thing is he doesn't have to do it alone because we know who's coming back with him. And I think there's a decent shot that we don't see a Chris Murray that scores 23.5 points a game like his brother did last year. That doesn't mean he's not as good. That doesn't mean he won't have the same type of NBA prospects. And it doesn't mean that Iowa won't be a better team this year than they were last season. But Chris Murray's got different pieces around him. One of those pieces is Patrick McCaffrey, who also averaged 10.5 points a game last year, played seven more minutes a game than Chris did a year ago, was uh, was a starter and has progressed. And we have seen him get better and better. Shot really well in the Big Ten tournament. Um I mean, it was, was really one of the bright spots of that game against Richmond. Brought them back into that game in the second half. So you, you have to expect Patrick McCaffrey to take a jump as well. Tony Perkins, maybe the guy you expect to take the biggest jump because he wasn't in the starting lineup for the first half of the season as soon as he was inserted into that lineup. And really as soon as he, you, you kind of felt there was a moment where he understood um, what his offensive game was and what his role on this team was as the starting two guard alongside Jordan Bohannon. And he really took off at that point. He's not the shooter, um, although that can be worked on, but he is an offensive game game changer. He's a defensive game changer for sure. And I think the the jump that we see from Tony Perkins this season uh, could be could be the story of the season, really. And so I think it's um, 
a tough thing to put on Chris to expect him to be Keegan, but it's also unnecessary to need, I don't think Iowa needs a player to be Keegan Murray. I think you can get, you know, 30 minutes out of those three guys I just mentioned, Patrick, Chris, and Tony, get 15 points each out of those guys, and you've replicated the production of the two big names that, that you've lost in Keegan Murray and Jordan Bohannon. The other thing, again, you're losing your top two scores from last season, but you're retaining number three, four, five, six, and seven. And that's Patrick, Chris, Tony, Philip Robracha, and then Peyton Sanford. You throw Aaron Euless in there. Obviously, the steadying hand of Connor McCaffrey. Josh Gundele is back. You expect him to have some some more going on. Riley Mulvey, uh, who should just be coming into his freshman season, but reclassified to come a year early. Uh, didn't play a whole lot last season, but you expect him to have a, a big role. I heard Kenyon Murray on with uh, the Hawk Central radio show and podcast here in Des Moines. Uh, earlier this week, just after Chris had had announced he's coming back, and he said they love what Riley Mulvey has done. He's taken a big step this offseason. He is going to be a factor next year. Uh, and so it's going to get really interesting kind of what this team does and, and how they're put together. But I think now you look at, and, and you you take a team without Chris Murray that you, you probably worry about a little bit. I don't think it was going to be terrible by any means, but you probably worry about, you know, an NCAA tournament bid. And you put Chris Murray on this team, and I do think it elevates them to they should get to an NCAA tournament. They should toy with being ranked for much of the season. And, uh, you know, a top half of the Big Ten finish puts some scare into some teams in the non-conference. And, and there is a, a big non-conference opponent that we'll get to in just a minute. But uh, I'm I'm excited about this basketball team. I'm excited about this season and, and the prospects of it. But I do want to just kind of pump the brakes a little bit on the Chris Murray becoming Keegan Murray out of nowhere because, A, that's just a lot to ask of anybody, and B, I'm not sure it's necessary or nearly as necessary as it was uh, a year ago. You needed Keegan Murray to be that guy last year. He needed to be the the face of that team and the leader of that team. He needed to be the guy scoring 20 points a night. And I don't necessarily think you need that out of Chris Murray this season. So you know, let's take a crack at the at the starting lineup, and I think it's it's probably a pretty easy starting lineup to come up with. I think Aaron Euless moves into the starting point guard, and I think Tony Perkins is the starting two guard. Now, we've seen Tony Perkins handle the ball quite a bit. There's been some talk uh, about whether or not he's he's the point guard. Uh, I, th- I think you could probably play with some lineups and uh, and have him there at times, but I do think uh, you know a starting lineup, Euless and Perkins, I loved when they were, were out there together last season. The defensive... Uh, efficiency that they bring, the energy that they bring, making it hard for teams to just get the ball down the court. Uh, I'm excited about that. I, th- I think a an improved – here's the thing. We talked about this a lot. We talked about it before last season. Will I will be a great defensive team? No. Probably never under Fran McCaffrey. It's just never going to be a uh, a priority of theirs. It's, it's never going to be the way they build their team. It's not the way Fran wants to play. Fran wants to score 80 to 90 points a game. He doesn't want to win games 60 to 50. Now, he'll win games however he has to, but I don't expect this to be a great defensive team. But I do think it, it has a chance to be better, and especially in that uh, backcourt with those guards. Then you go to uh, your, your number three. Is that Patrick McCaffrey? Yeah, probably so. Chris Murray starts there as well. And then at the center, I think you're probably starting Philip Robracha and hoping that Josh Agundele and Riley Mulvey uh, can play 10, 12 minutes a game. You know, One or both of those guys can, can come in and make that kind of an impact. Uh, I think Peyton Sanford is probably your first guy off the bench. I expect him to make 
a big jump this season, this offseason as well. We saw some really good things from him last season. We saw some big flashes from him and uh, him having a little more room and a little more playing time. He just had 10 minutes a game last season, uh, but really came on late in the season, and I think we expect big things out of him. And then again, Connor McCaffrey uh, would be one of those guys coming off the bench as well. I like what this team is, is going to put together. I like how they're what, what they're going to put out there. I do. I think it's going to be fun. And uh, I'm excited for this season. One of the things that makes me excited for the season is news that we learned today from John Rothstein. Uh, Iowa will play Duke in the 2022 Jimmy Fee Classic at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Texas's opponent in the other game of the doubleheader remains t- to be decided. That's according to John Rothstein again. Uh, that's a fantastic opponent. What a, I mean, what a great matchup. He'd probably rather see Duke with Coach K a year ago. But this is going to be fun to play a Coach K-list Duke program, Duke team, um, and really kind of measure yourself pretty early in the season. You'll have Iowa State to do that. You'll have uh, – I'm not sure if the – let me pull up their their schedule. I'm not sure if the um, ACC Challenge games or the Gavit games have been I'm, – I'm trying to wrap my head around exactly what has been um, what has been announced and what hasn't. And yeah, they really don't have much of a schedule up here uh, on online anywhere. And so, uh, but you, you're going to have some big games in the non-conference. Again, that Iowa State game will be interesting because they play such a different style, and that's going to happen again this year because they missed out on the the big transfer of AJ Green, who is uh, elected to go pro. I think a lot of people, myself included, thought he was headed to Iowa State and was going to be the kind of offensive piece that they need uh, to have a complete team. They're going to have a really good defensive team like they did a year ago. They're going to slog things down, slow everything down, uh, dirty it up, ugly it up. And will I will be able to come out of there with a win? I don't know. And then, of course, the Big Ten season is always a, is always a, a slog, right? It, it's always tough. It's a, every night, game in and game out. So I like what this basketball team looks like. I do wish that Fran would have been able to pull a big guy out of the, the transfer portal. I think that's a big miss uh, for this staff. I think it's a big worry if you're a fan, um, not just this season or this offseason, but as a whole, the way Iowa does or, or does not utilize the transfer portal. I think it is something to be a little worried about, concerned about. Um, the, you know, there's talk, Gary Barta talked about the, the NIL collective uh, coming out this summer. I think we learned more about that on Hawkeye Report earlier this week, but I don't expect that to be a major factor for Iowa in pulling guys out of the transfer portal either. It just feels like Iowa doesn't like the transfer portal. Fran McCaffrey doesn't want to utilize the transfer portal, and I'm worried that that's going to come back and bite us at some point. I would have really liked to get one of these experienced big men, kind of like Philip Abracha a year ago, who was solid for Iowa all season. You would have liked to go on and get somebody like that, get a piece, even if it's not a starter, just more depth in that front court. Because behind Philip Abracha, who again was solid but not great last season, and I think he kind of is what he is. I don't expect a huge jump from him in the offseason. Um, outside of him, you have two really, really unproven guys there. And, and you can play around with your lineup a little bit. And I know Chris played the five a little bit last year, and you could probably stick him there uh, if needed. But you just you you worry a little bit about what exactly this uh, that that front court's going to look like 
around Philip Robracha, who again I expect to to get the start. But overall, I'm excited about this team. I'm excited about uh, the way Fran McCaffrey has this program trending, and uh, very excited, obviously, to get Chris Murray back in a Hawkeye uniform for at least one more season. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's switch gears here now to, uh, to some football talk. Um... Charlie Jones leaving was was tough. That that's a tough hit. Uh, it happened so late in the the process that it, it's kind of strange. You wonder what what do we not know about this situation? I mean, this is a guy who came back for a an extra season um, with the stated goal of kind of posting some tape as a wide receiver. I mean, we know what he's done as a return man. We all know it. The country knows it. Uh, he was the Big Ten Return Man of the Year last season. I think it was first team All Big Ten um, in that in that slot as well, obviously. And and so the question mark was: is is he good enough as a receiver to have a cup of coffee in the NFL? And and there was a big question mark there. And I, I know it's it's an easy thing to point at Spencer Petrus and Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz and this offense and the offensive philosophy and the ineptitude of this offense at times last season and say, well, that that's obviously um, why he's leaving. He doesn't think this offense is going to be able to give him that opportunity to showcase those skills to NFL teams. Well, if that's the case, why wait till May? Why didn't you leave in the fall? Why didn't you transfer then? Why, why not go through spring ball somewhere else? Did something happen in the spring ball? Did, did Was the writing just on the wall that, hey, I'm not even the the fourth option here at wide receiver. Uh, there's no chance of me putting together enough tape to really make an impact because you've got Keegan Johnson, who was a breakout star last year as a freshman and uh, is poised to just kind of run away with the number one receiver position for as long as he stays at Iowa. You have Arlen Bruce, uh, who I think has solidified himself as as one of the go-to guys as well. Again, a freshman last year, made some big plays, showed some real flashes. You have Nika Regani, who's been a solid receiver for several years now. Those are your top three guys. Then you throw in some other guys, you know, Brody Brecht and, and some other people uh, who you, you just wonder where the writing was on the wall as far as Charlie Jones goes. Now, I'm not going to try to make this sound like uh, it's a good thing that he left or I'm happy he left or that Iowa is better off for him leaving because Iowa is not better off for him leaving, not even in the wide receiver core. You need depth. You need more depth. And at a position like that, you need as much depth as you can get. It's obviously a bigger hit to Iowa's return game because A, he was so good at it, but B, he just had he had earned the trust of everybody. He had earned the trust of Kirk Ferentz uh, to, to be able to kind of field balls that normally you, you may say don't field that ball, let that one bounce. But uh, Charlie Jones had just been so good at it that he was okay, and, and it was just such an exciting part of the game to watch him uh, field a punt or a kick return 
and you knew that you always had a chance to to have a game-breaking play uh, to turn the Illinois game on its head with a, a kick return to uh, you know make a huge impact in, in some of the other games, even without a touchdown, but with a big return. You just always felt confident. And with a team like Iowa, as you guys know, as well as I do, uh, where these games come down to one or two plays, and a lot of times they do come down to special teams things and little things here and there. And when you have an offense like Iowa has and an offensive philosophy like Iowa has, field position is really important. And, and those those extra 15 yards uh, to start on the 45 instead of the 30 could be the difference between you know, punting and giving them good field position or, or pinning them deep and, and then having a big safety or, or holding them deep or uh, a big, you know, strip fumble return for a touchdown like you saw against Iowa State last year. It's just we've seen so many times, the Nebraska game, we've seen so many times how field position, punting, punt returning, all these little things add up in, over the course of a game to really impact things in a big way. And so losing a big piece of that puzzle is a big deal. It is a big deal. And it, it sucks. And it hurts even worse that the reports are now that Charlie Jones is going to Purdue. And so you'll see Charlie Jones on the other side of the field. You'll see him returning kicks and punts against you. Um, you'll see him and Tyrone Tracy as part of that receiving core at Purdue this season. Two guys who were at Iowa last year. And so on one hand... You worry that they're going to come back and bite you. You worry about what you've lost. You worry about depth. On the other hand, Purdue's kind of picking up Iowa scraps, right? These are two guys that weren't going to start as receivers, most likely, for this Iowa team. And it's an Iowa program that doesn't churn out great wide receivers very often. Um, and so that that's it's an interesting thing there. Um, you know, more than anything, I feel bad for my son Charlie because Charlie Jones was his favorite Hawkeye, right? Every time he touched the ball, I say, Charlie, hey, there's Charlie. The big plays were amazing. And I'll miss Charlie Jones. He was a, he was a fun guy to follow, a fun guy. I was super excited when he was going to come back, and uh, and I was bummed last week when he announced that he was going to transfer. Of course, you wish him the best, uh, except for that one Saturday next fall when Iowa plays Purdue. Um, some kick times we got for Iowa football games. Let's run through these kind of quickly. South Dakota State, the opener. At Kinnick Stadium, that's an 11 a.m. kick. That's fine on on the the, the opening Saturday, right? You, you want to get things going. You want to see your team. That those matchups. Now South Dakota State's a, a pretty decent program, and so you know you don't overlook everything. But those initial matchups are are so much more about your team and and you know putting something out there and the fans and tailgating and getting out there on a you know nice early September day to Kinnick Stadium and, and all of that. So I like the 11 a.m. kick there. I love the 3 o'clock kick against Iowa State. It really gives you a chance to to get amped up, to get riled up, to get you know liquored up and, and get in there and, and really create havoc as as the the crowd in that stadium. And uh, in a game where Iowa hasn't hosted that game since 2018. Now, Iowa hasn't lost that game since 2014, so that's even further back. But since 2018, like that feels like a long time ago. The last time Iowa State came into Kinnick Stadium, and and you know the the 2019 game was in Jack Trice Stadium. Game day was there. Iowa wins. There was no 2020 game. The 2021 game, Jack Trice Stadium. Game day there. Iowa wins. Uh, so I'm excited to have Iowa State back inside Kinnick Stadium. And a three o'clock kick is perfect on a, again what should be a nice September day. And then you get the night game. So like the non-conference is perfect. It, lay, it lays out great. You have the 11 a.m. kick to start. You have the three o'clock afternoon kick where you really get riled up for that game. And then you got Nevada coming in 
Again, another decent program that you can't overlook completely, but you expect Iowa to win. And you get a night game at Kinnick under the lights, a 6.30 kick on September 17th. That is great. Uh, we don't know many of the other Big Ten games. We do know the Northwestern game. I think they said 2 or 2.30 is the kick. They, they haven't solidified that yet. But we do know the, the Black Friday game at home against Nebraska uh, will be a 3 o'clock kick. And again, I, I love that for rivalry games. I like that on a Black Friday. Um so yeah, I, th- I think it's all good. I think uh, I think these times are good. I think everything is good, and I'm excited about Iowa football. But I'm a little worried. You, you a little worried? Yeah, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried that this offense is going to be the same as it was a year ago. Um, you know the the all the the reporting, the film out of spring practice. It just doesn't feel like the quarterback play is, is going to take that step that you feel like I would it needs to take for Iowa to you know not not be good, right? I mean, Iowa did not have a good offense last year. They won ten games, won the Big Ten West, played for a Big Ten championship, and went to a, a nice bowl game. And I think that's enough. I think you have to be satisfied with a season like that. Do you want to win a Big Ten championship? Sure. Yes, of course. You want to beat Wisconsin and Purdue? Absolutely. Yes. Of course, but you can't complain about a 10-win season. You can't complain about a division championship. So Iowa can get there even with poor-to-average quarterback play. The problem is I think that's what you're going to get. The schedule is harder this year. Are you going to get the breaks? It's just everything has to go so right for Iowa defensively, special teams-wise, in the running game to kind of make up for this lack of a dynamic passing game. And they have the playmakers around these quarterbacks. And I don't want to you know, put the cart before the horse and say that Spencer Petras can't do it. He's won a lot of games. He's made some big throws. I love him as a leader. I love him as a dude. Uh, just don't love him as a quarterback. Alex Padilla had an opportunity to take that job last year, and he didn't do it. He just wasn't able to do it. They won the games he he started. They won the games he played in, but he wasn't head and shoulders better than Spencer Petras. Joey Labus didn't look great. I mean, looked fine, but not great in in spring ball and, and wasn't playing against the, the top team defensively. It just doesn't feel like he's going to really even get a, a legitimate shot at this job going into this season. Kirk Ferentz doesn't like to play players like that, especially when he's got two upperclassmen who have started games in front of him. And so I worry a little bit about that, obviously. And, and you know, in, in the kind of transfer, and I, I, I don't want to sound like an old man. I don't want to sound like I don't like the transfer portal. I'm, I'm happy guys are able to do this. But in this culture that we have now, you do have to worry about stud players, young stud players, not getting theirs, looking other places, seeing other guys having more success, putting up more numbers, getting more attention. And you wonder, is Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce going to be happy enough to stay at Iowa if they're not getting the quarterback play that they need to be effective? So that worries me. You know, it does. Um I, I stay optimistic, and as we get closer, you'll probably hear hear me say more optimistic things about Spencer Petras or Alex Padilla or whoever they they decide to be the starter. Probably both those guys at some point. Um, I'm I'm excited. Uh, you know, I, I will get excited about them. But as we sit here today, that that is obviously a worry. I'm not real worried about running back, and and you know, you, you lose Tyler Cook, 
Tyler Cook. Tyler Goodson. Although I bet Tyler Cook would have been a decent running back. Uh, you lose Tyler Goodson, who was a great running back. Uh, had you know kind of a disappointing season last year, probably. But I loved Tyler Goodson. We all did. Uh, how could you not? You lose him, but I, th- I think what you saw to Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams in the bowl game and at other times throughout the last season, I think you feel pretty good about that. You have to think that the offensive line, while maybe still a weak spot, is going to be better than it was a year ago. Maybe give Petrus and Padilla a little bit more time. Maybe uh, help those guys a little bit more. Sam Laporta and Luke Lachey at, at tight end, you love that. I mean, I, I like the pieces of this Iowa offense. I'm just worried that you don't have the quarterback to kind of get them the balls that they need to get. The defense, you love the defense, right? I mean, how could you not? You got Riley Moss coming back, Merriweather back, uh, Luke Elkin and, and Schulte at the safety spots right now. That'll be interesting to see kind of how that all plays out. But um, Jack Campbell, Senth Benson, Jamari Harris uh, at, at the as the linebacking core, that's fantastic. You have Cooper DeGene working his way in there somewhere as well. Uh, the defensive line of Wagoner, Noah Shannon, Logan Lee, Joe Evans, you, you like that. Uh, Justin Jacobs, of course, in there as well at the linebacker, you know, the cast, the Leo spot. Castro, uh, you you just really like this team. You really like the the pieces they put together. Um, it feels like culturally they're in a good spot. They haven't had a, a big loss in the transfer portal other than Charlie Jones, um, and so you feel good about this Iowa team going forward. You just you do worry, obviously, about the quarterback play. You know, mention quick how fun it was to watch the Iowa baseball team kind of make that run throughout the 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 regular season, and then into the Big Ten tournament. Unfortunate that it didn't end up with a an NCAA tournament berth. Unfortunate that Michigan has to cheat to beat you and <laughs> and keep you out of that automatic bid. Um, I don't know enough about baseball nationally or RPIs or the NCAA tournament to know how badly Iowa was screwed. I know Rick Heller made a great point or a great case for Iowa to to make the tournament. But I also know that Rutgers was a better team by all accounts than Iowa was, and they didn't make it either. So did the Big Ten get screwed? I think so. Did Iowa get screwed? I don't know. Uh, I would have really liked to see them play uh, in an NCAA regional. I think we all would have liked to see that. You know, baseball is one of those things that you, you can really start getting into as the basketball season ends, and uh, there's, there's not a whole lot else going on. Of course, track and field, and Iowa's, you know, very good in, in those sports as well. But um, was, yeah, it was disappointing to see Iowa not make the tournament, but. Um, and, you know, you wonder if you don't lose that game to Penn State and you don't have to play so many games uh, to kind of come back from that. Does it play out differently? Who knows? Uh, really cool to see the the accolades and the awards that, that Iowa got this season. Rick Heller just has that program rolling right now. Um, again, not, not to a... It's all about expectations, right? I mean, we've talked about this so many times on this podcast and other places, on bar stools and, and with each other that... It all just comes down to expectations. If you expect Iowa to play for a national championship in football, you're going to be disappointed. If you expect them to have good seasons, beat their rivals, compete for a Big Ten championship, you're going to you're going to feel good most of the time. In basketball, if you expect Iowa to be a top three team in the Big Ten and a top four seed in the NCAA tournament every year, you're going to be disappointed. If you expect them to compete, to play well, 
to play the right way, to finish in the top half, to play themselves onto the bubble, maybe even better than that, uh, and and you know have some success in March, eh, you're, you're gonna be you're gonna be you feel better about things. I think the only sport where you can have the highest expectations is wrestling, and that's where it's a national championship or bust, right? And so baseball, uh, I don't ever expect Iowa to you know, maybe even play in a in a college World Series. Maybe even never get to Omaha, but uh, the fact that they they're competing regularly for things like that, I think, is a really good thing and a really good sign for where Rick Heather has this team, and honestly, a good thing for this athletic department, uh, which seems to be in a pretty good place overall. It's going to be interesting to see kind of how Iowa navigates this new landscape, uh, the NIL, the collectives, what that all looks like, what that all means. I like the fact that there's so much stability at Iowa. In all of the programs, talking football, basketball, men's and women's, wrestling, baseball, it's like there's there's so much stability in these coaching staffs that it didn't feel like I would need it to like run out and do something drastic. It doesn't feel like I would needs to drastically change everything. They can kind of sit back, let the chips fall where they may, and then play their cards. Right? They they can kind of let this whole thing settle down review the landscape, and then move forward. That's how Iowa likes to do things, and that's how I think they're, they're playing this. And so I'm okay with that. It gets a little frustrating, as I alluded to earlier, when you don't pull a player out of the transfer portal, when there are a 1,000 players in the transfer portal and you can't get one single big man to come to Iowa. Um, that gets frustrating. It gets frustrating when you lose recruits or you lose, you know, you, you worry about a guy like Caden Proctor from Southeast Polk, who's a five star, um, and Iowa should have the the leg up on him. But you wonder what what are these other teams going to come with as far as NIL deals and the, the money that's being thrown around. Um, so you worry a little bit about that for sure, and you want to put yourself in a position to strike when that time comes, and and to to not get too far behind the eight ball, to not be left behind, uh, certainly by. Your regional foes, the, the the foes in your division, uh, other teams in your conference, you don't want to be left too far behind. But you also can't measure yourself against the SEC. You don't want to measure yourself against Alabama or Texas A&M. I was never going to be the type of team that puts $3 million into a, a recruiting class, allegedly, like Texas A&M. And so you want to kind of let, let the landscape lay itself out and then find your spots. And that's what Iowa has done so well over the last 20 years. That's what Iowa will continue to do. And I feel okay about that. I'm going to do this more often. I'm going to bring Trent Condon and Rick Brown and some other guys, John Bonacamp, all the guys you see at HawkeyeNation.com on this podcast. We're going to do it more regularly as we ramp up into football season. And then here we go, baby, right? I mean, we're less than 100 days away. Now, I mean, media days are end of July. We're, we, we, it, it's going to come fast and furious at this point. And so we are back at the Hawkeye Nation podcast. I appreciate your patience. And more importantly, I appreciate you listening to this. Uh, let me know what you want to talk about. Hit me up on Twitter, at Andrew C. Downs. You can find me there anytime. I always welcome the feedback. And check out HawkeyeNation.com for all of your Hawkeye needs, all of your Hawkeye news. It is, uh, it is still the granddaddy of all Iowa sports websites. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. And go Hawks! <laughs>